Well, good morning. Good morning. All right. Right on. Um, so before I get started, I wanted to kind of uh, cover a couple of uh, what might be elephants in the room. Um, there may be some of you who, uh, who are looking at me and saying, wow, you know, I've never really noticed this microphone. Why is it, why is it standing out so much this morning? <laughs> well, it's, you know, it's flesh-colored. Um, so I had the same gripe about Band-Aids. Um, uh, but um, they actually, there is an ebony, there is an ebony uh, microphone, what's on the fritz, so, um, uh, uh, so that's the first thing. The second thing is that um, I have this clicker, and so for uh, those of you who, um, who are maybe relatively new, um, um, you may not be used to seeing someone with a clicker, but that's where I feel comfortable. Um, my name is Kevin Jackson. I'm an elder here at Windsor Road Christian Church, and I'm, I'm thrilled and privileged to uh, be offering this uh, teaching time this morning. Randy, our pastor, is uh, finishing up his uh, study time, his study break, and so if you came thinking, oh, he's finally back from break, you're one week early, um, so, um, so you have me for this week. And, and then we can expect to, to see Randy back next week. Uh, before we get started, let's go to Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, uh, we thank you for this day. We thank you, God. We thank you for your many blessings, and we have been blessed. Father, we're sorry when we haven't been the men and women that you have designed us to be. And we pray, Lord, that, um, that in spending time with one another this morning, with you this morning, um, that we would grow in our faith, in our walk with you. We pray, Lord, um, that our ears will be open to uh, what you would have us here this morning. And I pray personally, Lord, that, that I would just be removed from this enterprise and... Um, Although it's my voice um, that people hear, that it'll be your message, your word. And we pray all this in Christ's holy name. Amen. Well, this morning, I, I thought we would talk about um, um, loving God. Um, and I'll give you a, a little bit of background as to why this question um, is a question that I need. You see, I grew up in a church home. My, my father was a deacon in the church. It was a Baptist church. Um, my mother was a Sunday school teacher. And I was the president of the youth group. You know, I was that guy. And so, if someone were to ask me, do you love God? I knew the right answer. And, and I think that it's probably true of all of those uh, of faith, those followers of Christ in this room. We know the right answer to that question, do you love God? Uh, but just in case, the answer is yes. Uh, yes, I love God. Uh, but if a follow-up question were asked, if someone were to ask, how do you know you love God? Or what's the evidence that you love God? Uh, then it gets kind of quiet like it is now, 
because that's a tough question to answer. So what I thought I'd do this morning is try to uh, help um, give us some thoughts, give us some insight into loving God and doing that uh, by trying to address three questions. Uh, the first question is, why do we love God? Um, what are the reasons we have for loving God? Some of this will be obvious, some maybe not so obvious. Uh, the second question we're going to address is, how do we love God? And kind of a spoiler alert, I'm going to propose a three-step process, uh, so, so hang in there. Uh, and then the third question uh, is, how can we love God better? Uh, understanding how we should love God, how do we love God better? Okay, three questions. We'll take them in turn, uh, starting with, why do we love God? Well, there's at least two reasons, two reasons that, um, that we love God. Uh, one reason is um, we love God for what he's done for us. Um, you know, some of the songs that, that, that Katie and, uh, and the group sang earlier um, reminds us that God created us and he loved us and he saved us. And if we're believers in Christ, if we are followers of Christ, none of those things should be controversial. We should all be on board with, man, God has done so much for us. And that's a reason to love God. A second reason to love God is perhaps a little underappreciated. At least, you know, I'll just admit, it's been a little underappreciated by me. Uh, the second reason to love God is because he commands it. You know, God actually tells us we are to love him. We are to love God. And, uh, in fact, when I was, um, I was looking through, uh, in preparation for this morning, I looked through uh, the first several books of the Bible, and one of the first times I, I see God mentioning loving him comes in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. And just to set the stage, uh, this is uh, when Moses represents the Ten Commandments. Um, you, you probably know this, but just in case. Uh, so we're probably familiar with the Ten Commandments and, and Moses delivering the commandments in Exodus. Um, the Israelites come out of Egypt. Moses goes on the mountain, comes down with the Ten Commandments. Yeah, uh, we're um, very familiar with that. Uh, but if you recall, the Israelites weren't taking well to that. Uh, and so they rebelled. They rebelled against God, and as a consequence, God determined that they wouldn't see the promised land, that this group of Israelites wouldn't see the promised land. Um, so he waited for the next generation of Israelites um, to, to guide them in the promised land, into the promised land, and in preparation for that, he represents the Ten Commandments. Now, as part of that, um, through Moses, uh, God has... Uh, kind of an emphatic message um, to this new generation of Israelites. And we see this. This is what we see in Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 and 5. Uh, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Um, so here, God is saying to his people, love me with all you have. And if there was some confusion, and this is something that I came up, is, is this really a commandment? 
Jesus clarifies that this, in fact, is a commandment. Um, and this is in Matthew chapter 22, and the context is uh, the Pharisees, um, in actuality, are trying to trick Jesus in front of a crowd, and they ask him a question. They ask him, what is the greatest commandment? And, and this is what Jesus replies. He replies that, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Right? So we are commanded, we are commanded to love God. Right? That's why we love God. We love God for what he's done for us and because he commands it. Now, um, I'll have to admit that being commanded to love God uh, unsettles me. Right? It does unsettle me. And the reason is because when I think about, man, when do I feel the greatest love for God? I, I love God uh, when I'm in a church and the music is playing and it's the right song that hits you just so. And you just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love me some God. I love me some God. Um, but see, if God is commanding me to love him, I can't just conjure that up. I can't just, hey, yeah, man, you can't just conjure that up. It, it is, it's something that just comes from within. So being commanded to love God unsettles me um, and offers me a conundrum, right? Either God is being unreasonable, and I won't go there, or there's more to it. Um, in thinking about loving God, there's more to it than this feeling I have of affection towards him. So that begs the next question. How do we love God? How do we love God? And here's my, my three-step process. Um, um, what I'm proposing is, in thinking about how to love God, uh, we, can first, we can first acknowledge who we are. Second, learn who God is. And third, submit to God's authority. Now, I know this sounds prescriptive, but bear with me, okay? Uh, and we're going to talk about these in turn. Uh, acknowledge who we are. Well, who are we? Who are we? And probably more precisely, who are we outside of Christ? Right? Who, what is our nature? And to answer that question, um, I'm going to borrow the words of Paul um, in his letter to the Ephesians, yeah, uh, his letter to the, to the, the these are, this is a letter uh, to a church. This is church folk um, that, uh, that Paul is writing to, and he's reminding them, he's reminding them who they are. And by the way, as I'm talking, uh, I don't have that, this passage up. If you want to look at it yourself, um, it's on page 976 in the Pew Bible. Um, but here, um, Paul is reminding uh, the church folk in Ephesus about who they are. Uh, starting chapter 2, verse 1, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. 
Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. Um, so what Paul is telling um, this church, uh, this body of believers, and, and what he's telling us is that outside of Christ, we have issues. Uh, right? We're broken. We're broken. Um, and, and Paul gives kind of a broad account of who we are outside of Christ. My challenge to you is to think, of, think about how that manifests in, in your own life. Who are you outside of Christ? Who am I outside of Christ? And uh, you can take this you know, two ways, unfortunately or fortunately. I happen to know who I am outside of Christ. And I'm going to share that with you just to make a point, right? Not so that you can call me out. Um, and it turns out, when I think about who I am outside of Christ, I am three things. I am three things. I'm, in, I'm entitled. I'm really entitled. And I'm unbearably <laughs> entitled. Um, uh, outside of Christ, when I have made a choice uh, to move away from Christ, this, this pops up. Right? I haven't perfected this. And it turns out that outside of Christ, I start thinking I deserve stuff, right? that I'm owed something. Um, and that's a trap. That's a trap. And we all have different things, different ways in which our nature manifests itself in our life, things that we're going to battle always. And I battle this always. Okay? So acknowledging who we are, and not just who we are outside of Christ broadly, but specifically um, who are you outside of Christ? Acknowledge that. And it's important not to wallow in that, right? Uh, it's important not to wallow in it, but to use it in order to better appreciate who God is. And so um, let's see who God is, again, from this same passage in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Um, and this is, again, chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 4 through 6. I'm going to go through 7 because I like verse 7, but... Um, but this is just after Paul has talked about who this, these church folk were before they knew Christ. Um, he follows up by saying this about God. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Um, so who is God? Well, God, um, God is someone that even in our brokenness, has made a way for us, has saved us, has gone out of his way to demonstrate his love for us. So who is God to me? If I think about who God is to me, uh, he's merciful. He's forgiven me of my entitlement. He said, okay, I know who you are. I know you have this entitlement thing, but I forgive you. God is the giver of all good things. I mean, I am incredibly blessed. I am incredibly blessed. Um, if you only knew, I could, I could list the ways, but I won't. 
Um, and despite my entitlement, God has blessed me. And perhaps most importantly, um, God has saved me from my entitlement. He liberated me. I'm not a slave to my entitlement. I know that's who I am, but I'm not a slave to it. Um, just this last week, I had a, a great conversation. I was at a conference, and each year uh, at this same conference, I hang out with a friend, Michael's his name, um, and, and we have good conversations. He's a Christian man, and we, we try to go and support and encourage one another. And so I shared with him what I was going to talk about this morning. And I started listing, you know, shared with him who I was outside of Christ. And he said, he said, man, Kevin, man, I just would never characterize you that way. I would just never say that about you. Um, and that was encouraging because it, it, it just reminded me that the Holy Spirit can take these, this mess and change you, right? So in his eyes, I'm not entitled because the Holy Spirit has done its work, um, but it still has work to do, okay? All right, so acknowledging who we are outside of Christ, learning who God is, and finally submitting to God's authority. And I told you to bear with me because uh, in parentheses here, I've added the word obedience. And I added the word obedience because in thinking about how can, do we love God, obedience is the answer. Obedience is the answer. Loving God, we love God through our obedience to God. Um, there's a, a passage from Jesus who, and, and there are several passages, I'm just going to share this one with you, um, where Jesus clearly links the two. Uh, and this is uh, in John's Gospel, chapter 14, verses 21 through 24, um, where Jesus says, Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. God has a love language, and his love language is obedience. Now, I want to clarify something before I move on, because anytime a person like me stands up in a stage like this and starts saying, obey, 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 uh, there's this real risk that um, people will hear um, something like legalism. Um, so I want to just make that distinction between what, what we've heard to this morning and what legalism is. Uh, legalism is when we're relying on obedience for salvation. Legalism is saying, I'm going to obey because that's the only way I think I can get God to love me. Right? Or that's the way that I can get God to do what I want him to do. Or that's the only way that I am going to deserve to be saved. But Paul makes it clear that, that that's way off base. Right? In the passage we read, Paul says, it's by grace that we're saved. So don't fall into the trap of thinking that my obedience is going to be a saving of us. It's not going to save you. It's, it's grace that saves. But having said that, there are also some things that we need to keep in mind about obedience. We can't kind of, kind of just say, okay, I get obedience. Yeah. Um, 
Um, the way I would, I would think about obedience, I think about it in at least two ways. Uh, but broadly speaking, loving God through obedience is about keeping it real. That's what it's about. It's about keeping it real. And it keeping it real in two ways. Uh, one, it's in our sincerity of love. Because saying I love you, knowing the right answer, well, that's cheap. And I'm, I'm guessing many of us have been in relationships or known people who have said I love you. But it's cheap. It's costless to say I love you. So loving God through our obedience moves us past the cheap talk into a sincere love of God by giving something up. Right? That's a sincere love. When we have to sacrifice something, that's a sincere love. Those who are married, you get that. Right? you got to give something up. Right? So keeping it real involves, uh, uh, gives us a sincere love. Keeping it real also means, and I'm going to step on some toes, I'm afraid, Keeping it real also involves calling behavior that displeases God's sin. In other words, if we're going to say, if we're going to love God through our obedience, we got to keep it real about what God is expecting of us, right? And so if we're thinking about the language that we use and we're saying, well, that was just a slip-up error, mistake, well, okay, but that's a sin. That's disobedient. Right? If we're loose with that language, that's disobedience. If we, you know, show ourselves, seek out images that God would not approve of, that's disobedience. And we got to call it that. We got we to keep it real. Right? And not only the things that we should avoid, but if we have a friend in need and we sit idly by, we know God doesn't approve of that. If we are not empathetic towards those in need, come on, right? Um, we got to keep it real, okay? All right. Um, so, um, in knowing, or at least in kind of contemplating why we love God and, and how we love God, um, I want to talk now about how we can love God better. How can we love God better? And it doesn't deviate from anything we've talked about. It just emphasizes one way in which we can obey God and one way in which we can love God through our obedience to God. And that is by obeying the new command. The new command. You know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about the command that Jesus gives uh, his disciples uh, as recorded in John's Gospel, uh, chapter 13, 34 through 35, uh, when Jesus says, a new command I give you, and he's speaking to his disciples, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Uh, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Um, so, um, here, how can we love God better? Well, we love God better by loving one another better, which begs the question, how do we love one another? Um, well, um, what Jesus tells us here gives us an, some indicators, some implications for what our love for one another 
should look like. Um, one, loving one another, is active and intentional. In other words, uh, when Jesus says that others should see our love for one another, they should be able to observe it, that means it's not just something that you feel. It's not something that you just have in your heart. Um, but it is engaging in loving acts with one another, right? Praying for one another, serving, for one, serving one another. Um, these are things that should be visible, right? This, this is um, our way of, of loving one another. The second way, and I'm speaking in a lot of twos here, um, second way in which we love one another, uh, that loving one another uh, points others to Christ. In other words, when we consider loving one another, it's purposeful. Um, it's not, it's not, I mean, it, it's great to love one another and it makes us feel good, but that's not the point. Uh, the point of loving one another is that um, it serves the purpose of pointing others to Christ. Um, and in fact, that's, that's the point of this whole message, frankly. Um, not only is loving one another meant to point to Christ, our loving God through obedience is meant to do the same thing, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you uh, a story about my kids and my sons back there. Um, and, um, you know, sometimes, um, you know, you, you lay some wisdom on your kids and you walk away and you go, hmm, that was pretty good. You know, that... That'll preach. I could, I could use that. I, I need to hear that. Um, so I have three kids, um, and, um, and they're great kids. And I don't mind saying it. No one knows I think that they're great uh, kids. Um, but they're also kids. And a few years ago, they went through a season of, of mutual conflict, a season where they're just pressing each other's buttons and everybody's angry with one another. And it got to the point where I just needed to intervene. I needed to kind of say, okay, I need to say something about this. So I brought them, uh, and we were in a bedroom, uh, one of the kids' bedrooms. And uh, I said, look, guys, I see what's going on. You guys are pushing each other's buttons and you're finding, you're being entertained by annoying one another, right? Um, and, you're, and, and so you have all this conflict going on. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you why you have conflict. The reason you have conflict is that each of you is looking at the world as if it's your movie, right? Yeah, I'm, when you look out and you see the world going on, you think it's your movie. And all the people that you see in the world are playing roles in your movie. And the conflict happens because, well, they're not cooperating. You have certain roles, there are certain roles they are supposed to play, and they're not cooperating. But what I told them is that, here's the truth, guys. There's only one movie. There's only one movie. And we're all playing a role in that one movie. And I thought, you know, uh, well, I need to hear that. That I'm playing a role in this movie 
that is God's plan. I'm just playing a role in it. I can't look at the world as if it's my movie. It's God's movie. And that role can be difficult to discover. You know, what is your role in God's plan? What is your role in God's movie? Uh, that can be difficult to, to get a hold of. But rest assured that that role, whatever your role is, that role consists of at least two things. That role consists of loving God through your obedience to God. And that role consists of loving one another in a sincere way. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.